0: Welcome to Residential Tech Talks. I'm Jeremy Glowacki, Executive Editor of Residential Tech Today. On this week's podcast, Jason Knott joins us again from his home office in Sturbridge, Massachusetts, where he now serves as Data Solutions Architect and Evangelist for Data by DTools. It was only 10 episodes ago that Jason came on to discuss his newly created role at DTools, where he works with a special team to define and deliver industry analytics and insights. Well, some of those results are now included in a very thorough 2023 mid-year market health report. I want to discuss those findings in detail but also share our guest's new perspective on the recent CEDIA Expo show now that he's not moderating like 100 panels on the smart stage or trying to meet with every exhibitor on the show floor in his former role as editor in chief at CE Pro. So, let's jump right in and talk all about that. Jason, not great to have you back. Sorry you're not feeling well. Got that trade show cold. I hope you're uh, will be able to manage without too much uh, struggle to th- today.
1: Thanks for having me, Jeremy. And again, I apologize up front of a little horse here, but uh, just got the, like you said, the, the, tra- the trade show cold. I guess.
0: Yeah, I know a lot of people came home sick and unfortunately several with COVID. And I I've got so, sort of psyched out when I started reading all that and thought for sure I was going to get sick, but I, I, I lucked out, fortunately. But even when I s- saw you the one time, which was in your hotel lobby waiting in line at the gift shop trying to find something to fix your sore throat. You weren't sick yet, but you had kind of blown out your voice that, that night before at the, uh, at the music performance, trying to talk over the music. So, um, yeah,
1: that was a good sore throat. That was from just talking and, you know, having fun again at the show with people. (laughs) Yeah, And, And, um, I lost my voice really quickly that first night. So no, it was different, but yeah, I guess we're doubling up on the sore throat stuff here, aren't we?
0: yeah well you uh you must have had a totally different experience there at cd expo i'm not having to do so so many things like you have done in the past you know being on that smart stage all the time and not that that's like i mean th- those are the fun kind of things to do it's organizing getting ready for them probably that's the hardest work but when you actually get to sit a, on a smart stage and talk i i, I find that really invigorating going around booth to booth trying to meet with every (laughs) exhibitor and try to remember what you've learned that's also difficult but what what was it like this time you're you're in a totally different capacity in your new role
1: yeah it's probably the same way that you felt when for all those years you did the dailies and were running around like a chicken with your head cut off at the show um you know really not getting a chance to really experience the vibe of the show because you're reporting on it, then going back to your hotel room and writing up that night and all those sorts of things. So this was actually, I think, as I said earlier, this was fun for me um, to be able to come to the show and see everybody. And, you know, everybody was really congratulatory for me in my, in my new role. And, and from my standpoint, I was really kind of touting what you kind of set up there that, you know, data is the new oil, as they say and talking to people about what we're doing on the data side and how we can possibly help them run their businesses and got a great reception. And it was great to see all the old friends. And it kind of reminded me of a pre-COVID CDA, you know, where nobody was worried about, you know, even though people did catch COVID, (laughs) nobody was worried about it at least. And everybody was having fun. There was a ton of parties and, uh, you know, it was uh, a great vibe.
0: Yeah, i agree the vibe was really good and uh did you were you able to pick up on anything from a technology uh trend standpoint i think uh when i talked to walt zerby after the show he he acknowledged the thing that i always say when everybody's talking about what's the big thing there's no there's really never that big thing anymore it's incremental um evolution of product um when you've covered this as long as we have things don't just like come out of nowhere You're you've been observing them over time so Um, But you do see some trends, and I I, I noted a few of them because, again, I got to be a guest on a panel right at the end, and I was going to have to come up with a list of things. And so the whole time I'm there, and plus, just because people are still going to ask that question, what am I going to say to them? So anything you kind of gleaned just as you ran from meeting to meeting and and tried to kind of see what was going on around you?
1: Well, it is going to be interesting that something I hope to be able to do some research on is the, the video wall trend yeah and you know seeing you know i uh, hearing from you know manufacturers and integrators who are now deploying video walls instead of projectors or maybe they're putting proposals that have a an option of a projection based dedicated uh, solution versus a video wall solution and there was a you know i think planar and uh samsung uh, Barco quantum media just had video just video walls there was a lot of video walls there, which I think fed into this first time having the commercial integrator expo there. Uh, I don't know how successful that was, but it probably worked well for companies like, you know, Crestron, Legrand, and Snap1 that, that want to cater to both audiences. But the video walls are really kind of a crossover opportunity that's coming from the commercial side into the Resi site. So I'm hoping to do some research on that and really get a gauge of, how strong that trend is
0: what i liked about that category was that you know early on it's still a very expensive category so you look at it like is this really a replacement of any projectors or even the larger just uh lcd led panels but uh when you um you start to see yes some of the prices have come down a little bit but also the simplification of the installation is a big story Um, whether it's just video walls as an organization saying we'll do all this for you and we'll source everything so you don't have to think about what you're putting together and designing with um planar has had a service all along you know to do installation and then there's um samsung doing things like modular panels where you have like it's a two-piece thing instead of having to do all the little cubes so there's there's different solutions when you know trying to make this happen for the industry and um you know, you still have the question mark, and CD is even addressing this in their their standards when they do their video standards. It's how do you incorporate uh, the audio in a theater setting? So if you're putting this in a in a room where it's like a big wall on the side of your living space that you you have a you know surround system already kind of in all the in wall speakers, but if you're doing it more of a theater setup, you can't have that behind this uh, screen audio solution anymore so that that becomes unique but you put it underneath you put it around it it, it, it can it can be done it's just more more things to kind of have to gain value add value from the integrator standpoint solving that problem um, some of the other stuff that I, I saw you know it's just a, a lot of media over IP obviously um, we've been seeing that for a while and it's not exciting to talk about but it's a thing that is very important for a lot of um, installations distributing that media around the house. So um, several things going on there. But hey, w- um, let's talk about your data, though. I, I really wanted to um, drill down into this report. And uh, one of the, the lead pieces from it was um, that revenues fell by an average of 5.2% in the first half of the year with um, month by month tracking, and you're you're basing this on uh, 100,000 project proposals created by integrators using D2's D-tools, DTools cloud. So it's a sizable number, a, a data sample there, um, and and you went into a great description of why that probably was the case. Several factors, maybe you can touch on that piece f- first um, in the observations you made.
1: Yeah, so first, put a, a quick caveat on it. It's the the the, the um Dtools is a proposed design and proposal software Dtools Cloud and Dtools System Integrator and the the uh, -5.2% was the average project size um down and the the number of projects was pretty much even so okay. it, it, in essence it was that but I do want to put a caveat on it because it's not necessarily total revenues because we D-Tools just introduced its service module in the spring, and so we don't really know how much, um, what percentage of integrators now are drawing revenue from the from the service side. Next year we'll be able to because we'll probably have we'll have that a year under our belt to be able to see how much they're getting from it. So, just want to clarify, it's not necessarily the total company revenues, but it's the project size. Um, and again, the number of projects was was pretty much steady. So, okay. Um, A couple of things, you know, that that to me kind of stand out from the report. And again, it's up as a free download on Dtool's website for anybody who wants to grab it, was that the the closing rate was um, just 40%. So only four out of 10 proposals were actually being converted into a sale, which kind of surprised me. I didn't, I thought it would be higher, but a couple of pieces of data, that for your audience, that's not in the report that I, I ran in preparation for our call, um, that 26% of dealers reported that they close over half their proposals, which is positive. 10% closed two out of every three, 6% closed more than three quarters and 3% of dealers closed every single proposal that they proposed on the residential side. So a little more detail there for, for your audience, that's not in the report. Now on the flip side of that, two percent of integrators reported that they didn't successfully close a single residential proposal. They <laughs> okay. were shut out on the residential side. So, okay. um, which is interesting. So, but you know, it, just anecdotally talking to integrators, you know, forty percent seemed low. I don't know what your impression was. Uh, yeah, me. I thought it would have been much higher that they wouldn't be producing a proposal unless they were a little more sure they were going to get the deal.
0: Yeah, and that—that's not just they had to adjust the proposal and resubmit. That's actually just not going to work with that client in that project.
1: Yeah, those are. It didn't. It wasn't duplicative. Where, let's say, mm-hmm. you're doing three versions of a proposal for a customer. That yeah. was not. That was winnowed out. So this was pure for new customers. So yeah. Um,
0: well, that is so, that. That just makes you think about the time, the time spent, and the time. I don't know if you want to say wasted, but. You talk about efficiencies in our industry and that that is surprising that you would you would need to put all that work into something and not get any results from it um, in that particular case.
1: It also kind of goes to the the need for lead generation because, you know, you've got to be able to produce that you know be able to find those customers to be able to. Produce this the volume of proposals that you want if you're only going to close four out of ten yeah so um this kind of puts more of an emphasis back on that part of the business whereas you know during this covid thing guys were just the phone was ringing off the hook so so we'll see um the other thing that was interesting and i want to i i think draw out for for your audience that you that i didn't really emphasize in the report and I probably should have was that 47% of what was in the quote ended up making it into the proposal. So my my deduction there was, boy, this is a lot of value engineering that mm. you're going in, let's just say, with a $100,000 proposal and you're ending up with a $47,000 project. That's compared to the first half of last year when it was 58% was making it into the project. So there was quite a drop. But the one thing I should have included in there is For many integrators, it's a tactic to purposely go in with a proposal that is above the budget limitation of the customer. So if the customer says, I got a hundred thousand dollar budget, a lot of integrators will go in with a hundred and twenty-five thousand dollar proposal because otherwise they know that they're not gonna possibly get a hundred they could never get a hundred and five or a hundred and ten thousand out of that job if they went in with just a hundred thousand because they know they're gonna get some value engineering. So it's in many cases, I think a purposeful tactic of an Mm -hmm. integrator to go in with a proposal that's higher than the, the, the stated budget by the customer. So it makes this value engineering number look a little lower than it really probably is because, you know, most integrators that I talk to do exactly what I just described.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's like kind of going into negotiation and, and obviously going high because you know, it's going to go, someone's going to say low and then you get. Somewhere in between. Um, any other? It, that, that's that's probably a good uh, assumption that that's what's going on. Um, any other? Any other theories though on on what might have happened there? Just year to year to year co- comparison, just in terms of what was available to put in the job, maybe from the supply chain or um, any other issues that might have happened. Um, economy wise where they just like you know I'm not going to spend as much as I thought I could
1: yeah and I, I speculate in the report that it that could be a sign of just that more influx of consumer grade products getting into the proposals so so now we're seeing you know I don't want to call out specific names but we're seeing a lot of manufacturers who also sell direct to consumer and have really good quality products that the integrator can professionally install. Um, that are not necessarily margin laden products for them. So, um, uh, which feeds into some of one of the other more surprising or kind of i will call the most alarming part of the of the uh, report, which we could talk about on the the blend between labor and, and, and equipment. But um, that's my speculation that I think there's there's more consumer grade, and then it could be like you just said, maybe consumers you know, being a little more hesitant, they're, they're maybe worried about the economy. Um, you know, the first half of the year, I did a month, the report goes month by month, and you can see the first three months of the year were much worse than the spring. So remember, we can think back, inflation was still, you know, really high at the beginning of the year. And so I think that might have been a concern and consumers were just being hesitant. Um, and then obviously, as things ramped up in the spring it could be reasons like that now we're getting more outdoor projects that are being brought in whereas people are the dealers aren't necessarily bidding on outdoor projects in january and february maybe so
0: how hard is it for you um and your research to remember those milestones in the year that you're analyzing because uh it all blurs together for me like i look back i'm like Oh yeah. The, the, the inflationary stuff was really big at the beginning of the year and it just, I can't believe we're already in September, you know, like I almost had to stop and like, are we September? <laughs> I lose track of where we are in the year. Cause it goes by so quickly. And then to have to like, remember what were some of those factors? Um, are you just good at that? Or you have to like go and kind of do a little bit of digging and what the big headlines were, uh, nationally.
1: Yeah. No, it- I think when I saw the month to month numbers, I was like, okay, what's, what's going on here is why was the the first half, first quarter pretty bad. And and then it started ramping up and you, you could kind of get a sense that uh, this is, I think truly showing that it's back to the new norm or the old norm, I should say, and I'm not talking about norm from cheers, (laughs) you know, the, the old norm of that, the market The custom insulation market is really mirrors the economy closely. Mm -hmm. You know, COVID was a complete anomaly, Um, but now I think the 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 industry is back to mirroring the state of the economy. And so, the interesting thing it'll be interesting to see what happens in the second half of the year, because the second half of last year um, was down four percent from um, the first half of of last year. So not year over year, but from first half to second half of 2022, the second half was down 4%. So we'll see what happens in the second half of of this year. Again, knowing that the the things were on the rise in the spring, and we'll see if that's been sustained in the summer and in the fall here.
0: Right, right. Well, and you went into some detail about the effect of the higher cost of labor, which is just across all businesses right now, a factor, la- lack of labor, you know, labor shortage and just general high cost of labor, um, in addition to the inflationary factors. So, um, what was your, what were your observations there from a data standpoint?
1: Yeah. So that was, as I, I hinted the most alarming part of this to me, so Sur- surprising and alarming was that <clears throat> 77% of, uh, projects We're still the revenue, the revenue was coming from equipment and only 23% coming from labor. And we've been talking, you know, you and I've been talking, you know, forever about valuing your labor and the value that the integrator brings as an expert and how important that is. Especially in this era of DIY, you know, with so many products that are DIY that they've really got to show the, the value of their labor. So I was surprised that it was still only 23%. They did a little digging talk talked to, to Matt at Vital, and he was saying, you know, it should be absolutely integrators should be over 30% on their mm. labor uh, as a percentage of their business. And then I looked around <clears throat> at some general statistics for other um, professional home-based contractors, and the numbers were much higher. You know, you hear anecdotally at electricians, it's like seventy yeah. percent labor is their business. And then I found a stat on HVAC where they're between forty and fifty percent. So this this the market still has a long way to go from that standpoint. And that actually surprised me.
0: Yeah. Um it, it is surprising that that we haven't made more inroads in that area. Um I it, I feel like it's almost as if the manufacturers have coddled the industry so long, you know, the integrators just with you have to compete with that margin conversation, um your profits, mar- you know, on the actual hardware and um it, 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 there there's never been that transition really taking place. You know, they the, the integrator seems to kind of drive that almost um necessity from the manufacturers to stay like that, but uh they haven't been able to make that that switch over, or they they just don't feel confident and and really valuing the labor like they should.
1: Yeah, and that's one of the reasons that you know you and I have talked so long about recurring revenue as a as a vital yeah. part of, of the business. To uh, if you're not going to be able to get the labor rates that you probably should be getting, um or or be able to at least bring the revenues in on the labor side that you've got to kind of cushion that with some sort of a recurring revenue stream for your business, whether it's service or monitoring or whatever it might be. So,
0: but you would think that, uh, when you do talk about the the labor rates, you're also looking at the competitive no- notion of people wanting to go somewhere where they're making more money, uh, as a, as a technician and that, that push back to the owners of these companies saying, I'm, I'm, Having to pay my my people more, I need to charge more for that labor to my clients, you know, it should be reflected in my billing, I guess, right? So I think that it, that would I, kick I in. I guess
1: the positive the positive way to look at it, as I should have mentioned, it was 23% coming from labor, but last year in the first half, it was only 21%. So yes. it was actually up 2%, but you hit on it, it, that I think is just a reflection of the higher pay that they've been having to pay due to inflation right so i don't necessarily think it's them you know adjusting their labor rates to where they they should be uh, based on the what they should be making from a revenue and a margin and a profit standpoint i think it's mainly just to cover their labor costs
0: yeah today's episode of residential tech talks is brought to you by nice the global manufacturer of smart home security and building automation solutions Nice is bringing together 30 years of innovation with award-winning products from Elan, SpeakerCraft, and Panamax to create a holistic ecosystem for builders, integrators, and consumers. Learn more about how you can create one home with one solution at go.niceforyou.com backslash RTT. Moving into product categories, you you noted, which um, were some of the more uh, often proposed um, products and it said not surprisingly electrical products which includes cabling power supplies connectors and clo- closures junction boxes surge protectors all that fun stuff that's a uh, infrastructure that's kind of like the top of the list right but what was that surprising category to you that uh, well, jumped out
1: again uh, you know these are going to be much more defined than they are right now because electrical is so broad yeah and, you know right when i i had to kind of look and say okay what do we have in, what didn't actually dtool's includes the electrical category so i had to find out what those were um it is it was surprising to me it was electrical lighting uh loudspeakers access control and networking i was surprised access control and all i could figure is that there's the smart door lock category must really be doing well for there was a lot of smart door lock um exhibitors at cd expo um Mm -hmm. so i think that category is um coming in and again uh, that could encompass video doorbells so yeah i, I gotta look the, the categories are going to be much more well-defined um uh, right now they're 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 not <laughs> okay um so but access control includes that so i i i don't know if there was a specific thing if that was just video doorbells driving that if that was some sort of mdu uh solutions driving that but that one was kind of surprising to me but um Who you knows? know other than that it Kind of standard you know I yeah the,
0: you the lighting we, one you, you cited in your findings you, you kind of went uh, a little bit more um it, with your own voice i think who would have thought that lighting like five years ago would want be one of the top categories but i think that's another one that maybe if you drilled down and subdivided it and said lighting control shades control or shades and actual lighting fixtures separately you know um it may not be as big of an individual category because lighting control has always been it's been strong for a while but uh, the the fixtures part I think probably is still a smaller percentage of that um, even yeah, though it's and crime. there were
1: quite a few fixture exhibitors at the show oh so, sure. you know, color being lighting boss WAC DMF Luce, Lucifer environmental lights Prolux garden light I mean I, I'm missing you there was like you read a handful more so <clears throat> you know Last year at Cedia, there there was maybe two or three of those guys.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. And they got a lot more uh, interesting in their their displays, too. They were really starting to learn from that Ketra model of how do you demonstrate at the booth what you do with your lighting as opposed to just having some, frankly, some boring fixtures on a table, you know. Um, can't really learn much out, off of that. But they, they, they were definitely in uh, a, a much higher presence there. And and maybe you're right. Maybe that is uh, just as that category is and the D-tools growing a lot faster than than I was realizing um, in the industry overall. But uh, obviously it's a trend that we like to talk about and everyone's trying to learn about it. So um, maybe that's reflected in the actual sales.
1: Yeah, I still talk to some integrators who have not delved into the category yet. So um, uh, I think there's still a lot of room for growth in that lighting fixture category. Um, and especially, you know, with tape, you know, linear lighting as well as the dental lighting and, and, um, you know, uh, specialty light track lighting, there's lots of different categories, permutations in, in that uh, area. So I expect that to grow and it'll, it'll, be interesting to see, you know, light a Palooza, uh, next year on what that's like, and I'm sure that'll be even bigger and better of an event too
0: speaking of events now in your new role um are you um do you have any updates on how many types of things you're going to attend in person just to kind of keep track of trends that you need to be tracking in your data or are you mostly going to be getting to take some time to yourself and just dig into the numbers and stay at home
1: well, I can tout that I am going to be at the uh, CEDIA Tech Summits in New Jersey and New York coming up November fourteenth and sixteenth, of um, presenting um, okay. on you know some of these findings as well as some new findings of other things that I'm going to be talking about. So, cool. Um, I'm going to try and get out there as much as I can. Um, but you know, I know you're a road warrior, so I, <laughs> I, I, I'm hoping I'm not going to be you know too much of a road warrior, but. I got to stay in touch with, you know, as many people as I can, because one of the things I'm trying to do with this data is not just throw the data out, and, but if you notice at the end of the report, I have three takeaways. Yeah. Okay. Here's what you should do with this data, because I think to just put the data out there, people are like, eh, okay, well, you know, mm-hmm. what's this, what does this mean to be, me? what am I supposed to do with this? So every single thing that I do, I'm going to try and have that perspective of, okay, here's three things you should try and do or analyze within your own business or actions to take. And the only way I can really get that information is by talking to people. Okay. So once I've kind of run the data, then what I, my, my, uh, protocol is to be just reach out to as many people as I can and say, Hey, what is your impression? Why do you think this is, you know, and talk about uh, those sorts of things. And I've got some other or some other things coming up right away. So I'm going to try and do one of these reports every month on some sort of a different subject.
0: Yeah. And I, I did like your three takeaways and I felt like as I was reporting on the report, um, I didn't want to steal your thunder. I wanted to make, sh- make sure you got your downloads and people would actually look at the report. So I didn't give away what your, your three actions um, were. Um, how do you feel about re- sharing a little bit of that? And, and here, I don't think we're going to steal any anything from uh, your ability to get some folks to actually read your report with you give them some hints yeah dude.
1: no it's a it's a it's a free download and you know again i, I recommend if you go on to d tools it's in the i think industry in resources industry insight section is where they put it uh, yeah. on the website um but again we talked about that that value engineering that's taking place so i think one of the takeaways that i had is just really make sure you're not hurting yourself by downgrading your quotes right so you know at the integrator level keep those quotes high um you know go above and beyond the budget you know well that customer you get says i got a hundred thousand dollar budget you come in with one hundred twenty-five thousand, and then they say well that's above oh well then it's oh well, let me take out let me do go to the the uh three options let's go to a different type of speaker or whatever mm-hmm. might it might be and then immediately the customer feels like he got a deal hmm. um So you're already kind of helping them feel better because you're bringing down that. But, but you present that proposal at the higher amount with, this is what it costs for everything that you asked for. Mm -hmm. And you know, you're not trying to grind them on something, but then, okay, well, if you don't have the budget, maybe I can adjust here or there. And you're still going to end up, I think, maintaining a lot of that. Because I would love to see that back at that 58% level versus 47% level, um, because that's quite a drop-off from one year to the next, I think.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, and then that 40% converted into sales, um, just having really being aware of, of that, right. Finding a way to maybe include, uh, improve the closing rate, um, would be a, gr- a good goal for these companies. Um,
1: yeah, you know, find out why right. that if you, if you got a competitor, that's, you know, like I said, I think it was what, 3% or 2% of the guys closed 100% of their jobs and uh, 6% closed 75% of their jobs. So there are companies out there that are doing way, have much higher closing rates than what this industry average is. So I'm I'm sure integrators know who those companies are, Um, but find out what they're, you know, trying to emulate those best practices. You know, what is it that they're doing in their proposals that's helping them seal the deal of, you know, versus what you might be doing?
0: Yeah, of course, you know, maybe that one guy, he just does two really large projects and he closed both of them. But, uh, you know, you never know. Um, but then the last one you said, you know, goes back to that uh, labor um, product um, market versus labor rates. Um, again, trying to get that labor rate higher.
1: Yeah. So the, the, the bottom line always is that it really doesn't matter what your competitor's labor rate is. You need to have a labor rate that is make, that is profitable for your company. So, um, I did a, a a thing for, for several years at Cedia, uh, working with Leslie Shiner, on calculating your break even. So, uh, probably still up on cepro.com somewhere but uh there's a i did an article on how do you calculate it you know how do you look at all your direct costs your indirect costs i'm sure integrators know how to do that but once you establish that break-even rate then say okay now what do i got to do to make you know 35 percent margin or whatever the the your target margin is on it so you know i i know it's 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 hard to look at the competitor's hourly rate and say, gee, I've got to match that. Or people think I'm going to be gouging, but you've got, there's such a diversity in this between one and two man shops that have very little overhead and larger integrators that have overhead that they have to carry. Um, So you can't, you know, you've got to differentiate as to why your rate is higher. um, If you're one of those that has to carry that overhead, because you shouldn't be having putting yourself in a situation where you're not making profit on your margin.
0: Right. Or right. On your labor. On sorry. your labor. Yeah. I mean, may, maybe your story is that, um, you know, we we provide the service after the sale that you're going to need on the types of products that, that these are. We're, this is a network based system and there's always upgrades and changes that need to be made. And we have the the people to to do that and to stay on top of this and monitor your systems, whatever that is. you know, um hopefully that's the case. So that's why they have the people. Um, but uh yeah, that's a good point. M- make your case for why you your labor may be more than the other guys and your experience and, and
1: you make a good point there you make a great point there, you know that service ongoing service i one integrator I remember telling me goes <clears throat> he tells the customer, my job starts when the installation's over." Mm -hmm. because anybody could do the installation but you know i'm going to be the one who's going to keep it working for the next 15 years
0: exactly yep well jason i i've taken a lot of your time today i appreciate you battling through with your uh your cold there and and telling us all about this great job on this first report look forward to continuing um to monitor the industry through this data that's really helpful and uh Hopefully, everyone takes a moment and downloads it and reads it.
1: Thanks, Jeremy. I appreciate you having me.
0: Jason Nott is Data Solutions Architect and Evangelist for Data by DTools. Learn more about DTools and download their mid-year report at d-tools.com. That wraps up today's show, which was produced by Residential Tech Today, IPW, and Pretty Easy Podcasts. Go to prettyeasypodcast.com if you're looking to get professional production help on your own podcast at an affordable rate and if you're new to residential tech talks please subscribe to the weekly podcast wherever you watch or listen to podcasts also check out all the latest residential tech news at the magazine's website restechtoday.com where you can also subscribe to the print or digital magazine and to our tuesday and thursday email newsletters until next time please stay safe stay inspired and let us know if you have a great story to tell
1: Residential resident
0: protection. Lighting device. specialist to residential resident resident to to Home device. Smart home or smart house.